Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees based here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. This week we're going to be taking a brief break from our Grid Careers podcasts while we try and get our minds back into revision mode again. With clinical exams likely to be started up again soon, Sophie Constantinou, one of our presenters, has been kind enough to provide us with another quiz. This time, all based around the neuro exam. Now we've had a few of these already, but Sophie's going to be walking you through this if you've never done it before. So, let's take it away, Sophie. Hey everyone, I'm Sophie, and this is my revision podcast for the MRCPCH clinical exam. Pub quiz number four. The Neurostation. So for those of you who haven't joined us for a pub quiz, this quiz is a test of your knowledge on the neuro examination. The quiz contains four rounds with five questions each. And this particular one is going to cover cranial nerves, eye and upper and lower limb neurological examinations. If you want to brush up on these examinations, you can actually find two podcasts available on the Dragon Bites website. So if you haven't already, please go and have a listen. Round one this week, as always, is the inspection round. Round one. Question one. On inspection, you see a unilateral ptosis. Can you name three causes of a unilateral ptosis? Question two. On inspection, you see a child with champagne bottle leg appearance and pes cavus. To what genetic condition could this be attributed? Question three. On inspection, you see a child who is unable to perform tiptoe walking. Why might this be? Question four. On inspection, you see a teenage girl. She has a rash with red one to two millimeter papules covering her nose and cheeks in a butterfly distribution. Prior to further examination, What condition should you list in your differential diagnosis? Question five. Prior to testing eye movements, you notice your five-year-old patient is tilting her head to the left and her right eye seems slightly higher than the left. Which nerve palsy might be causing this appearance? Round two. Round two this week is name that syndrome. So basically I'm going to give you a constellation of signs and I just want you to tell me the name of the syndrome or the diagnosis. 
Question 6. You see a 13-year-old boy who is unsteady when he walks and walks with a broad-based gait. He has scoliosis and pes cavus. When you test his reflexes, he has upgoing planters and you find it difficult to elicit his ankle jerks. His Romberg's test is positive. What is the underlying syndrome? Question 7. You see a young 10-year-old girl who has thin, wasted arms and legs and she is in a wheelchair. She appears to have a contracture in her right arm and she is generally very stiff. Her reflexes are brisk and you notice that she is drooling. What is the underlying diagnosis? Question 8. You see a 15-year-old boy who is able to walk unaided, but he does so with a waddling gait. He also has a positive Gower sign. He has reduced muscle bulk and is hypotonic, and you are unable to elicit his ankle reflexes. You feel his proximal muscle groups are weaker than his distal muscle groups. He has winged scapula and you think may have tongue fasciculation. What is the underlying diagnosis? Question 9. You see a 15 year old girl who you feel has normal cognition although you do notice she has a rather blank face and is slightly dysarthric. She has hollowing of the temples and when you ask her to squeeze your fingers, she takes time to let them go. What is the underlying diagnosis? Question 10. You see a 13-year-old girl who has a swirling rash over her right leg and right arm. She also has some unusually shaped teeth and you think she might have a learning disability. What is the underlying diagnosis? Round three. So round three this week is on special tests and mnemonics. You might be familiar with some of the mnemonics from med school um, or because you may have listened to the previous podcast, but if you haven't, just try to have a guess at what they might mean and we'll go through the answers afterwards. Question 11. The mnemonic dwarfs is often used to remind candidates what to look for on inspection as part of the neuro exam. What does it stand for?
Question 12. What gives you a positive Romberg's test? Question 13. The mnemonic Danish is often used as a checklist to remind candidates what to do when they test the cerebellar system. What does Danish stand for? Question 14. The mnemonic AFROC or AFRO-C is sometimes used to remind candidates how to examine cranial nerve 2. What does it stand for? Question 15. The patient is wearing glasses and when you look through the glasses, whilst moving them over the corner of a piece of paper, you notice that the paper looks smaller. Does this mean that the patient is long-sighted or short-sighted? Round four. Round four this week is going to be on neurological and eye signs. And for each sign, I want you to try to list three causes or syndromes associated with each. Question 16. Name three syndromes associated with nystagmus. Question 17. Name three causes of papilledema. Question 18. Name three causes of a lower motor neuron facial nerve palsy. Question 19. Name three causes of ataxia. Question 20. Name three causes of a cherry red spot. Bonus question. William Allen Sturge, who gave his name to Sturge-Weber syndrome, along with Frederick Weber, was married to Emily Bovell. Why was Emily Bovell famous?
the answers. So we're going to go through the answers round and for each question I'll just give you a brief reminder of what the question was um, and then I'll list some of the things that I thought the answers could be but you may have come up with some different things so don't worry if you have. Round one was on inspection. Question one was basically about a child who had a unilateral ptosis and I wanted you to name three causes of a unilateral ptosis. So the ones that I've got down here are Horner's syndrome, a third nerve palsy, potentially idiopathic, which is quite common in paediatrics, and I've also got myasthenia gravis. But remember that potentially myasthenia gravis could also give you a bilateral ptosis as well. Question two. So question two, on inspection you saw a child who had champagne bottle leg appearance and also pes cavus and I asked what genetic condition this could be attributed to. So the one that I was thinking of was Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease which is an hereditary motor and sensory neuropathy. Question three. Question three, um, I asked you to imagine you were testing the gait of a child and they couldn't do tiptoe walking and asked why might this be? So what is the pathology? Um, and this is because the S1 and S2 myotomes may have been affected. Question four. So for question four, I wanted you to imagine that you were going into the room and seeing a teenage girl who had a rash covering her nose and face and it was a red papular rash. Um, and I want you to recognize this um, description as adenoma sebation, which is pathognomonic of tubular sclerosis. And the reason that I want you to um, remind yourself of this particular appearance is that we all know of the classic ash leaf macules, but actually in the exam these might be a bit tricky to spot um, because of limited time and because you're obviously under pressure as well. Um, so if you go in and you see this rash on the face, make sure that you then go and check the nails for periungal fibromas and also ask to examine the patient's back or sacrum uh, for a shagreen patch as well. And you may find the ash leaf macules along, along the way. Question five. So question five, you had a little girl who, who was basically tilting her head to the left and you thought that her right eye was slightly higher than her left eye. This particular position and um, head tilt is associated with a fourth nerve palsy, so a trochlear nerve palsy. So these children will have a compensatory head tilt to the contralateral side and they'll also have a hypertropia, so the one eye will be higher than the other. And in most of these children the cause is congenital and obviously you then go on to test their eye movements, which will help you to identify um, fourth nerve as the cause of their um, eye palsy. Round two. Round two this week is name that syndrome. So I gave you um, some signs and I basically wanted you to try to put them together and come up with a potential syndrome. So question six was about a 13-year-old boy who was unsteady when he's walking and walked with a broad-based gait. So I was trying to get you to think of an ataxic gait. You noticed that he had scoliosis and pes cavus, but he had upgoing planters and you couldn't get his ankle jerks. He had a positive rhombergs. 
So this is a constellation of symptoms here. You've got some cerebellar things, and you've also potentially got some sensory things. The diagnosis that I was looking for was Friedrich's ataxia. So just a brief reminder that Friedrich's ataxia gives you both cerebellar signs as well as a peripheral neuropathy because it affects both the pyramidal tracts as well as the patient's peripheral nervous system. So what that means is that you're gonna get a positive Romberg's test because the ataxia is sensory, but you will also see hyporeflexia, upgoing plantus and nystagmus, which are cerebellar signs. If you are asked if there's anything else you would like to examine in a patient with Friedrich's ataxia, just make sure that you feel for and listen to the heart because these kids may also have a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Question seven. So this question was about a young 10 year old girl who was in a wheelchair. She was thin, she had wasted arms and legs, a contracture in her right arm, and she was stiff with brisk reflexes and she was drooling. Um, so I'm hoping that you had the picture of this young lady in your head um, and that your top differential diagnosis would have been of cerebral palsy with probable spastic quadriplegia. Just to remind you that cerebral palsy is a really common exam case, um, so make sure that you're familiar with the different patterns of insult um, and signs that you might see um, in cerebral palsy. Question eight. So question eight was a 15-year-old boy who walked with a waddling gait and had a positive Gower's sign. Um, you thought he had uh, reduced muscle bulk, he was hypotonic, and you couldn't get his ankle reflexes. Um, he had winged scapula and a possible tongue fasciculation. So most of us, when we hear waddling gait and a positive Gower's sign, we would probably first jump to Duchenne's muscular dystrophy as our likely diagnosis. But what I was trying to get at with this question was the diagnosis of spinal muscular atrophy type 3. Um, a differential diagnosis for this pattern of signs could be limb girdle muscular dystrophy or even Becker's muscular dystrophy. Um, because basically, most boys with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy would be unable to walk, sadly, um, at the age of 15 and would usually be wheelchair bound by that age. The other thing um, about Duchenne's is that these um, young boys often preserve their ankle jerk reflexes until relatively late in the disease. So because of the age of this patient, spinal muscular atrophy type three uh, is more likely to be the diagnosis. If you wanted more information about spinal muscular atrophy, make sure that you have a look at the really excellent Spinal Muscular Atrophy UK website, which is at sma.org.uk, which has also got some really excellent resources for patients as well. Question nine. Question nine was about a 15-year-old girl who you thought had normal cognition, no learning disability, but she did have a rather blank, expressionless face, um, had a bit of dysarthric speech, and she had a thin face and hollowing of the temples. When you asked her to squeeze your fingers, she took time to let them go. 
So I'm hoping that you thought of myotonic dystrophy as a reason for this um, young lady's symptoms. Um, just a brief reminder about myotonic dystrophy. These are inherited disorders and they actually tend to be autosomal dominant as well as showing anticipation. I think the key thing with, when you see a child who may have myotonic dystrophy and you're trying to work out what's going on is that you take a brief minute to figure out what you're actually seeing before you present your signs to the examiner. Make sure that you don't mistake myotonia for increased tone and really the only way as part of your neuro exam that you're going to be able to elicit myotonia, which is the failure of muscles to relax after contraction, is when you ask them to squeeze your fingers as part of the upper limb neuro exam. The other um, more subtle signs uh, that may distinguish something like myotonic dystrophy for, from, for example, cerebral palsy, is that myotonic dystrophy will give you reduced or normal reflexes, whereas um, cerebral palsy, which is an upper motor neuron lesion, will give you brisk reflexes and clonus. Question 10. So question 10 um, is, a, is a difficult question. It was about a 13-year-old girl who had a swirling rash over the right leg and arm. She also had some unusual teeth and you think she may have a learning disability. So the diagnosis here is a very rare diagnosis, which is incontentia pigmenti. So this is a, a very rare diagnosis and it's unusual in its inheritance as it's X-linked dominant. It's one of the rare ectodermal disorders um, and an ectodermal disorder basically affects two or more of the ectodermally derived structures. So these are the skin, sweat glands, hair, nails, teeth, and potentially mucous membranes as well. But these children actually also often have learning disability. So they may have seizures, they may also have a squint, and for that reason, you might see them in a neurostation compared to a station where they're simply asking you to examine the skin. Round three. So round three was um, a quick round trying to refresh your memory about some of the special tests that we do as part of the neuro exam, as well as the mnemonics. You might have heard of some of those mnemonics from med school or because you've listened to the previous podcast. Um, but hopefully these will help you to hang your examination structure on when you're in the exam. Make sure you don't forget anything as well. So question 11 was the mnemonic dwarfs, and I asked you what it stood for. So D stands for deformity or dysmorphism. W stands for wasting. A stands for asymmetry. R stands for rashes. F stands for fasciculations. And S stands for scars and skin. So R for rashes and S for skin, make sure that you're looking for neurocutaneous stigmata. Question 12. Question 12, I ask you, um, what gives you a positive Romberg's test? Um, this is just a brief bit of a revision because we don't often do a Romberg's test um, when we're in CAU performing a neuro exam, but it's really important because it tells you whether or not an ataxia is sensory in nature or whether it's a cerebellar problem. So the reason you do it is if you see an ataxic gait, 
Um, and as I said, if it's positive, it means the ataxia is because of a sensory problem. So something is wrong with the patient's ability um, to proprioceptive. If the patient has an ataxic gait, but Romberg's is negative, it's more likely that the ataxia is cerebellar in nature. Question 13. So this was another mnemonic. This time the mnemonic was Danish. Um, and I'm sure you're all familiar with that one as a checklist for the cerebellar um, examination. So D stands for dysdidocokinesis. A is ataxia. N is nystagmus, I is intention tremor, S is slurred or staccato speech, and H is hypotonia or hyporeflexia. Question 14. Question 14 is about the mnemonic AFROC or AFRO-C. Um, you might not be familiar with this one. Um, this is one that I learned when I was at uni and it helps to remind you what to do when you're examining cranial nerve two, so the optic nerve. And it stands for A for acuity, F for feels, so visual fields, R stands for reflexes, um, and these are the light reflexes, so direct and consensual um, accommodation, but also put in there and check for an RAPD as well. O stands for ophthalmoscopy, um, i.e. looking at the optic disc. And C stands for colour vision, which you test with Ishihara plate. Um, probably you wouldn't actually want to perform ophthalmoscopy in the clinical exam. It's one of those things that you would mention at the end to say you do to complete your examination. Um, I would add the caveat that in real life, please make sure that you do perform ophthalmoscopy because it's one of those things we don't do very often, we're not very good at, and the more you practice, the more you get used to seeing what the back of the eye looks like. Question 15. So this was a slightly strange question about um, how to check with a patient's glasses whether or not they're long-sighted or short-sighted. So in real life, you'd probably just ask them, but in the exam, um, you can get clues as to whether or not the patient is long or short-sighted by looking at their glasses. So this patient, you took their glasses and you passed it over the corner of a piece of paper and you noticed that the paper looked smaller. So if the paper looks smaller through the glasses, that means the patient is short-sighted. So that's S for smaller, S for short-sighted. If you took the patient's glasses, passed it over the corner of the paper and the paper looked larger, then that patient would be long-sighted. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can actually have a look at a picture describing this test um, on the PDF which accompanies the Cranial Nerve and Eye Examination podcast, which you can find on the Dragon Bites website. Round four. So the answers to round four. Um, this round was on neuro and eye signs and I just wanted you to give three causes or syndromes associated with each as some practice for listing differentials in the exam. So question 16, I wanted three syndromes associated with nystagmus. Don't worry if you didn't get these as there are lots of different causes of nystagmus in paediatrics. But the ones that I thought of were oculocutaneous albinism, achondroplasia, Arnold Chiari malformation 
And of course, any cerebellar lesion, as we learnt when we went through the acronym Danish, um, can also give you nystagmus. So just to remember as well that Friedrich's ataxia can give you nystagmus too. Question 17. I ask you to name three causes of papilledema. Um, so these are anything that cause raised intracranial pressure, and I'm sure you can think of lots. Um, but the ones that I've got down here are hydrocephalus, uh, brain tumour or space-occupying lesion, leukaemia, idiopathic intracranial hypertension, so IIH, craniosynostosis, um, and potentially other things like bleed, um, or encephalitis potentially as well. Question 18. Name three causes of a lower motor neuron facial nerve palsy. Lower motor neuron facial nerve palsy. Just remember the rule is that upper motor neuron lesions are forehead sparing. So if the forehead is involved, um, you're thinking it's a lower motor neuron lesion. The most common cause of this in real life um, and maybe in the exam is idiopathic, so a Bell's palsy, um, but you may also have infective causes, so Ramsey-Hunt syndrome or other viral causes like mumps or EBV or even Lyme's disease. You, um, in babies, in, in real life, you might have traumatic lower motor neuron facial nerve palsy, for example, from a forceps delivery and also muscular dystrophies being lower motor neuron diseases can also cause facial nerve palsies. Question 19. So question 19, I asked you to name three causes of ataxia. The ones that I thought of were Friedrich's ataxia, ataxia telangiectasia, or even ataxic cerebral palsy. But of course there are lots and lots of other causes of ataxia um, and I think the one to highlight in real life, which we often forget about, is infective and post-infective causes. So post-chickenpox, you can, you can get um, uh, an ataxia. You also might have structural congenital causes um, like hydrocephalus, dandy walker malformation. You might have a tumour, unfortunately, sitting in the cerebellum, giving ataxia. Drugs can do it. There are lots of different causes. I think just make sure that you're familiar with the rarer genetic causes because these may present to you in the exam. Question 20. So question 20 was a bit cheeky really because it's more of a theory question rather than a clinical exam question, but it's just in case the examiner asks you that rare question. Um, so I asked you to name three causes of a cherry red spot um, and the few that I thought of were Tay-Sachs disease, um, Neumann-Pick disease, some of the mucolipidoses as well, and there are others. I think just if you remembered Tay-Sachs and Neumann-Pick, then hopefully you'd be able to answer that question if you get it in the exam. Bonus question. So the bonus question this week was about William Sturge um, of Sturge Vapor fame, um, who was married to a lady called Elizabeth Boville, and I wanted to know why Emily Boville, his wife, was famous. Um, so according to Wikipedia, I didn't know this, but I find it quite interesting, Emily Boville was reported to be one of the Edinburgh Seven, who were the first group of matriculated undergraduate female students at any British university who started to study medicine 
1869. So when you think of Sturge Weber, don't forget um, William Sturge's wife, Emily Bovell. So that's it for today. My thanks to Dragon Bites for hosting this podcast. Make sure you check out the London School of Pediatrics, MRCPCH videos, as well as the excellent resources on the Spinal Muscular Atrophy UK website. Remember that you can download the companion worksheets from the website for the previous two neuro episodes. And if you haven't already, make sure that you go and have a listen to those too. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you found it helpful and see you next time for more MRCPCH revision. And thank you, Sophie, for providing that excellent quiz for us. It's been fun as always, and I'm always surprised at how many things I learn each time I try one of these. Please join us again next week on Dragon Bites, where we'll be restarting our Grid Careers podcasts. For now, thank you for listening to Dragon Bites. Thank you.